The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues, Ocean River Shields of Achilles, with your host, Dr. Rob Moyer. Find out what others are doing and what you can do to create a greener and blue planet Earth. Now, here's Dr. Rob Moyer. Hello, welcome. We're back and we're going to talk some more about the Lockahatchee National Wildlife Refuge. And we're going to talk about the wildlife and the habitats and how to manage the invasive plants. In particular, they've got an old-world climbing fern. And this was our topic last week as well. And, but with me today are, uh, are the interns, I guess, from uh, right here. Um, we're broadcasting together around the kitchen table in um, Harvard Square at world headquarters of uh, Ocean River Institute. And, and with me are um, Maxwell Wagner, from Northeast University. Hello, Max. Hi, Rob. Nice to be here. And Sesha Manning from Maynard High School. Hi. Hi. <laughs> so, Sesha, you came the farthest. You must you drive in from Maynard. Mm-hmm. Wasn't bad today, though. Yeah. It's good. And it's good for the school to to help pay your parking because that's always a problem here in Harvard. <laughs> that was Square. also very nice. I've never known a school that's always been an issue transportation for students going places and. So I'm impressed by Maynard High School, their ability to support your, um, and we're most appreciative of your work out here helping us out. Um, before I go into the, in, the news about, or talk about Lockahatchee, um, we've just gotten some uh, news from our other ocean conservation groups that the, um, the Trump administration is planning to cut nearly a billion dollars from NOAA NOAA is a National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration program in Washington that manages our weather reporting and satellites as well as um, oceans and uh, the fisheries and, and, you know, these hands-on, uh, these very important, you know, our beaches are clean because of the work of NOAA, and we have a lot of interactions with that. So we're going to be mounting a campaign over the weekend to try to encourage people to write words about saving the ocean. And um, if people listening want to help with that, um, you, can, you can email me at rob at oceanriver.org. Uh, you can visit our webpage, but we're not going to have the stuff up and out until like Saturday or maybe the end of Friday or something. So um, if you want input beforehand, you know, drop us a line, and um, we, we sure could use it because it's so important that, that ocean conservation programs be level-funded. Um, because they, in turn, you know, the research that NOAA does informs the 10 other agencies that touch on oceans, and it informs the governments of towns and, and states on how to make the best decisions in managing oceans. So being penny foolish on, on the budget of NOAA 
is cutting dollars out of budgets from uh, state, town, municipalities, and, and other agencies who rely on that kind of information. So that's my big pitch for um, a little alarming about what's going on in, in Washington and, and cuts across the board. Similar kind of cuts to Interior uh, and cuts to the EPA, even larger, I think. Um, maybe not. It's a larger budget. I don't know. It, it, it's, it's all bad. <laughs> so, uh, and But we are the only organization that um, rather than just send in a whole bunch of signatures, work with individuals to get individual voices because we know that the decision makers, and in this case, there are eight members, uh, senators and representatives on appropriations that are going to be the deciders of how much to cut because Congress sets up the budget and stuff. So um, the same process we're going to talk about in the Lockahatchee of people writing comments uh, uh, heartfelt, you know, individual comments. It's, it's also going to be applied, and we're going to be pulling together people's words for saving the oceans and reducing NOAA cuts. Whew. Um, Wakahatchee. So uh, last week, uh, I spoke to uh, Rolf Olson, who's the refuge manager, and uh, the former manager, uh, Mark Luceus, and uh, Eleanor Williams is from the Friends Group. And the three of them, were, for me, it was like drinking from a fire hose. I mean, there's so much information about this incredible place that's on the threshold between the Everglades and Lake Okeechobee, and you've got this kind of sheet of water flowing down Florida. And what happens right there is like integral to the entire state ecosystem. Uh, and so for the experts, you can tune in to... Uh, uh, last week's program, but uh, today we're here at Ground Zero and we're trying to get people engaged in that. And and one way that, you know, if you just send, tell a legislator there are 255 bird species in the lagoon, or not the lagoon, in the, national, in the Lockahatchee, um, they know that kind of stuff and that doesn't resonate. But if you take the time to talk about how you personally relate to that, uh, it really makes a difference. So um, there are five different habitats. The, the website says there's six, and the refugee, refuge manager said there were five. And so you guys can figure out where the overlap is there. But uh, there are these different habitats that are the homes for assemblages of the wildlife. And, uh, and Max, you've been researching the tree island, and there were some references made about that, um, in particular about the... Uh, the tree islands are the most challenging place where the ferns are, are taking over. So tell us a bit more about what, what's a tree island? How many are there? Yeah, so uh, in my research, the tree island has definitely been the most interesting to me. Um, there's actually over 4,000 of them um, all throughout the Lockahatchee. And these tree islands, they're all a little bit different. Um, they can range from one acre um, all the way up to huge 300-acre tree islands. Wow. Yeah. Um, there's actually even two types of tree islands. Um, so you have some that are based on limestone and then others that are based on vegetation. Um, and these vegetation tree islands that I'll focus on, um, they're composed of uh, red bay and dahoon holly with wax myrtle. Um, well, hold on a second. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just fascinating the way these vegetation islands are created because mm -hmm. they're not just like the limestones are bumps in the landscape and so... The, it's above water, and so the plants settle there. Yeah. But no, how do these 
What do you know about these um, other islands? Yeah, so uh, they actually form um, when these submerged peat, submerged peat patches, uh, they rise to the water surface, um, and then these plants that start to grow on the trail and start to expand, um, and then all the vegetation starts to come in. Um, so really interesting. Um, you actually have these seeds that germinate um, right on the exposed peat, um, and then eventually the woody vegetation, um, all this comes in on the edges, um, and it creates these tree islands that um, actually have kind of a donut shape because um, the vegetation grows um, in kind of a circular way. Interesting, around the edges, the outward the middle kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Okay. You know, in so many ways, it's like the New England bogs we have here because the bog is like a basin of water that the water doesn't escape out of. There's no river draining a bog, so it becomes very acidic. You know about bogs? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so the, the grass and peat moves in from the edges until it's entirely closed off, and the trees get established in there. And you can walk on the bog. It's really dangerous walking on the bog. It's better to have a boardwalk because you can punch through it because the whole mat is floating. And so I asked um, the refugee manager, uh, refuge manager uh, Olson, that these islands, you can step on them, and you can, they're like a quaking bog, some of them. But they're, they're kind of disc, there's water underneath them. And so the whole tree, you can see the whole kind of land, the whole little mini landscape moving up and down with your weight if you do it just right. You want to be careful not to punch through because then you're going to be, I don't know how deep they are and stuff. But what fabulous thing. So you're telling us the plants come in around the donut edges. Yeah, so it actually happens all because of the wind. Um, so these seeds are blown right in, um, and then they germinate right on the peat. Um, so it's very fascinating. Um, they're all very diverse um, with all sorts of different vegetation, depending on where it is within the Lakahatchee. Um, so very interesting. You know, you have some um, with the button bush, um, some that have real dense amounts of cocoa plum, um, and they actually have a lot of uh, ferns that are closer to the ground then. Um, all around those edges. Right. So you're saying you're like kind of three stages of, of um, I guess, canopy. Mm -hmm. So we got the ferns on the bottom. Yep. And then you have the other levels. Um, so you have the red bay and dahoon holly up at the top, um, and then the button bush as well. Yep. And some myrtle in there, you said? Yep, with yep. the wax myrtle. And the wax myrtle. So those are three of the top canopy yep. and uh, the other stuff. What a fascinating environment. So, Sasha... Can I go to Sasha now? Uh, do you want to talk about the invasive species or? Yeah, go ahead. Um, so, yeah, actually these tree islands um, have been really, really the worst affected um, by the invasive species. Um, so you have all these exotic plants um, that aren't natural to the area that have come in and are really taking over these tree islands. Um, it's been a huge problem for them. Um, I know you've talked before about uh, the issues with um, eradicating those, those species, yeah. um, and especially with the tree islands. Um, just with how difficult it is um, to eradicate them, um, having the, uh, the water all around them, um, the workers have to um, stand knee-deep in water. Or wait sometimes. Yeah, wait yeah, deep. Um, and this alligator-infested water um, just to try to eradicate this. So it's been very difficult. Um, yeah, I'm going to interrupt for again, because the, the manager said on the last show that the Lockahatchee has the most alligators per square foot. Mm -hmm. He was very clear about it's not the greatest biomass, so I guess the biggest ones aren't there, but just more jaws per square foot, which I think is a little alarming. So these guys have to, I guess they're taken out in, a, in an airboat because you can't just put a propeller down on this stuff. And, and so they're brought out as a crew, and then they have to climb into this water up to their waist or something. Go ahead. Yeah, exactly. So 
Uh, you know, these trailings are all surrounded by water, so um, it's pretty difficult. They have to um, then go through the entire process standing in that alligator-infested water. Oh, no! <laughs> um, so they have to um, try to get rid of these species on, on so many different tree islands, you know, with 4,000 of them. Um, yeah. It's tough to keep up. Uh, so, yeah, it's been very difficult, um, but the tree islands, they're beautiful, um, and they're all very diverse. Yes. Thank you. That's, you know, that's a little background on the whole tree thing, on the whole tree islands. Uh, what uh, Roth was saying, and, and Mark and, and Eleanor to a lesser extent, was that uh, they have to, um, they could spray it with a herbicide, and that would, but that would kill all plants. Like, so the plants underneath the climbing fern are going to shrivel and die. Um, and in some islands, those plants have already lost it, so they can spray those. But other places, in many places, they, they want to um, go to the tree and cut the stems and then paint the roots so that the thing dies. Uh, if not treated, the climbing ferns will um, smother, you know, block the sunlight from the plants, but also they can just crush the plants so the weight of the tree ferns will just cause the plants to collapse. So it's really important that they be treated, uh, and it's very labor-intensive. As um, the former refugee manage, refuge manager pointed out, that um, we don't have they don't have roads going through there, so it's very difficult to get to these places. So he said that, or the, uh, the manager said, like seventy two percent of the island is influenced by tree of the part of the area, and I don't know how that breaks out between tree islands and the other habitats, but uh, it's uh, it's hitting. I think it's hitting all the tree islands, and as you said, when they they treat it once, uh, then um, the, um, they have to plan to go out again and again for the next two, three years because you clean them out once, but they're the best invaders, so they're going to be the first ones to arrive to, repop to repopulate that spot. So they have to have a systematic, and so fortunately, uh, the state and the government have each been putting in $2 billion a year, and it just hasn't been enough. Because um, they're still there, and so the South Florida Water District, uh, Water Management District, is um, is frustrated that they own this property and it's not getting fixed up, and so they want the U.S. Fish and Wildlife to invest even more money, and they're threatening if they don't do that, they're going to close the National Wildlife Refuge and essentially treat U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service as a tenant and just kick them out and say, it's all ours. But they only have half the resources that they're doing together. So it's really important that um, we write to um, the new Secretary of Interior and ask him to uh, maintain this National Wildlife Refuge. Unfortunately, we've got a great new Secretary of Interior who rode in on horseback with two uh, attending um, uh, rangers with him, uh, and he's a big proponent on, he understands the importance of National Wildlife Refuges and how the sportsmen built the National Wildlife Refuges. This one is one of two in Florida, and the other one is um, is the Ding Darling National Wildlife Refuge, and that one, uh, Ding Darling himself was involved in starting the uh, duck stamp program, and so duck hunters raised the money to buy that refuge, and so there's this history uh, the same here at Plum Island in, in, in Massachusetts, of uh, locals um, 
of sportsmen uh, funding the expenses of creating these National Wildlife Refuges. So it's great that we've got a big sportsman um, uh, Secretary of Interior. So uh, what we need to do is to convince him is to show that people, not just in Palm Beach County where the refuge is, but throughout the land, care about it. And so our purpose today is to spread the word about what's so special about this. And so Max has been good about explaining one special habitat, the tree island. And Sesha is going to tell us about one animal. Our creature feature of the day is going to be the white-tailed deer. Um, but, my gosh, we're already a third of the way through the program. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Sesha, are you with us? Yep, good. Ready for deer. Ready for deer. Okay, we'll be right back. Don't know what Streaming live, the leader in Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. On a Cape Cod shore, 16 striped bass fish and a horseshoe crab were found dead, killed by a harmful algal bloom. The town blamed excessive lawn fertilizer for polluting the water. They restricted lawn fertilizing to once a year. The state overruled, mandating five times a year. Though the striped bass died on a Falmouth shore, fertilizer pollution is a national problem, clogging our waterways. If you believe in our rights to clean water and beaches, if you want to stop the killing of fish by excessive fertilizer, please join with us. Make a donation for responsible stewardship. Acting together, we can have clean beaches and more fish. Please visit www.donateforoceans.org. That is www.donate, the number four, oceans.org. Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. 
You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Welcome. We're talking about the Lockahatchee National Wildlife Refuge in Palm Beach County, Florida. And they have a tricky situation where it's being overrun by old world climbing ferns. And despite both the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and the South Florida Water Management District spending millions of dollars, those tenacious plants are still there and um, probably fewer, but there's still a lot there. And so the um, South Florida Water Management wants U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to uh, put more money into removing it, hire more people to get in there, and... um, and that's a challenge in today's economy, as you know, with the current news about federal spending and so forth. And unfortunately, the, um, the South Florida Water District is threatening to um, close the refuge and re- return it back to a water management district uh, if more funds aren't found or something. So we are raising a, we're rallying to uh, write to the Secretary of Interior to please preserve, don't let the National Wildlife be closed, uh, refuge be closed, and um, and also we're giving him ammunition for why they, it, this area deserves more money, not less. And uh, so Maxwell is about the tree habitat. And um, Sasha, you're going to talk about one of the, the charismatic, charismatic megafauna of the tree habitat are these white-tailed deer. So. Yes, they're one of the main mammals in the area. And although they are colorblind, they have 310 degrees of vision, which is helpful at night. Holy smokes, all around, except for yeah. a little narrow so behind them. Without even moving their head, they can see a lot. Um, but the hunting, they don't see in color, so that makes it harder to see people, too. Um, they can run at speeds up to 40 miles per hour and broad jump 30 feet. Wow. Pretty impressive. And to communicate, um, they have scent glands on their legs, and they can also lift their white tail, what they're named, uh, what they're named for, and this can communicate danger to other deers. Like a flag, mm-hmm. you know, bounding, mm-hmm. waving that flag, and so mm-hmm. the, the riflemen are supposed to hit for the tail instead of the head, and hopefully, you know, the deer will escape, but. Make the riflemen know better. <laughs> and then um, on the refuge itself, um, one, their home range where they travel the most is about 1.2 square miles. And once they establish a territory, they're unlikely to leave it unless they are forced out by predators or humans. And um, one area where they do live is uh, um, tree islands, which we were talking about. And what happens here is when there's flooding, um, there's scarce amounts of land, so there can often be overcrowding. And when that happens is there's going to be less nutrients and resources, so there's going to be a lot of um, competition. So this can lead to malnutrition and the spread of diseases. Right, so they run out of forest. They all get shoved up onto these little islands mm-hmm. that are diminishing in size with the rising waters, and then they've got to compete for those plants you're talking about, the myrtle and the um, other bushes and things. And so it can look like the tide has risen up the plants because they can just strip all the leaves within their reach. And then it's 
tough nookies because they're bumper to bumper and disease spreads. And so you were telling me there are, are kind of groups or herds. Yep, there's each travel in herds, and the leader of the herd is the female, and all the males will compete in a herd to mate with the female, and they'll travel together. So you got these different herds, mm-hmm. and and they they have preferred parts of the. Mm-hmm. Territory or something. Yeah, so once they find where they like or where there's a lot of nutrients or food, they're likely to just stay in that area and make their own herd there. Good browse. Mm-hmm. Well, they're, and, and they're doing okay, the population? or Yes, the population's doing pretty good. So when the population increases, um, there's more hunting, which helps the um, hunting like economy in that job. But um, when there's floods or not a lot of land, this can lead to starving, and a decrease in the population. Right. So the hunters are good because they call the excess or when it's crowded. Mm-hmm. And I, I imagine that the managers, you know, that limit licenses or somehow figure out how many they can take each year. Yep. And, uh, it's, you know, because we don't have wolves or cougars going through there and taking us deer. Mm-hmm. There are some cougars, but they're not taking out the deer, so we need hunters to take out the deer when the cougars leave off. So that's great. That story is about the deer of the island, and um, and maybe in next and future shows we'll do other animals and other habitats, or if we have time in this program. But um, I want to move on to um, talking about our campaign to get people to write comments, and um, uh, right. So uh, we uh, put out a letter. What the Oak River Institute does is it puts together a cover letter saying about how it's important to um, keep the Wakahatchee Wildlife Refuge open. And and then uh, we sent it out, we emailed it out to over 40,000 people have subscribed to get our emails, our e-alerts. And if you want to do that, listener, um, I invite you to go to www.oceanriver.org oceanriveronword.org, and up in the right-hand corner it says subscribe. And you hit that, and you put in your email address, and we'll send you uh, e-alerts. Um, and if you ever feel inundated with too many, you can always go to the bottom and hit unsubscribe. So it's a free service. But this went out, and a couple thousand people responded with signatures, and um, hundreds wrote back, comments. And so we've been doing this for almost 10 years, and so uh, people are getting pretty good at commenting. And um, so we've collected some comments to share with you, and um, what's, I, I deliberately picked out ones from different states so you get a sense of the geographic distribution. And um, so we're going to kind of do a round robin of reading them. I forgot who volunteered to do the first long one. Okay. All right, that's right. You did. <laughs> sure. Yeah. This is from Lori Hain from Homosella, uh, Florida. As a Floridian and one whose mom and brother live on the Lockahatchee with their home backing to a natural Everglades-fed canal, I desperately ask you to continue the agreement and management of the refuge. All of the species that live and thrive there have been needed and loved by all for so long. Dumbo Limbo demonstrates all the good and necessary accomplishments that they have made for the turtles. They and my family frequent that establishment often. Please stop SSWMD from revoking the agreement. You can make this vital difference. Please help. 
We need you. And Gumbo Limbo is the local nature center that's right in yep. Palm Beach County there. I had the good fortune to talk at Gumbo Limbo last winter uh, about the harmful algal blooms that they're having down there. So that's fun. It's not like uh, making you limbo under lines or something, <laughs> but uh, it's a wonderful nature center. Uh, they've got a beautiful aquarium. They have this big pond, a lake you can walk around with all kinds of wildlife around it. Uh, it's a wonderful resource that they have there in Palm Beach. Uh, Max, tell us what someone wrote from Hawaii here. Yeah, so we have L.M. Holmes from Honolulu, um, and they wrote, Blockahatchee turtles are the canaries in the coal mine. We need to preserve the environment for creatures other than ourselves, or we will end up destroying it for ourselves as well. And Lisa Keplek from Glen, Glen Ellen, Illinois, writes, I'm planning a move to Florida this year, and I'm very dismayed to hear this, and hoping we can save the Lockahatchee Wildlife Refuge. Mm-hmm. And Moira Tidwell from Minneville, Indiana, wildlife is disappearing at an alarming rate everywhere. Do not retreat from your commitment to manage the refuge to preserve the natural habitat for a rich array of wildlife. And then here's one of my favorites. This is from Laura Beard from Elizabethtown, Kentucky. Uh, she wrote, there are many places you can still enjoy the beauty of an undisturbed place like the Lakahatchee. I love turtles and birds and want my granddaughter to be able to go there with me and enjoy the beauty. Please continue to co-manage this beautiful place with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife for our children and their children. Thank you. From West Baldwin, Maine, Vinedge Lawrence writes, Lakahatchee was part of the January term course. I often found wildlife there that students saw nowhere else during the trips. It was an important educational resource. Mm-hmm. And from Annie McCobbs from Kalamazoo, Missouri, hopefully Florida will make good decisions about its environment and wildlife, and hopefully we will continue to visit Florida often to enjoy your natural resources and bring our vacation dollars to you. Uh, then the next one we have from Skip Lazell from Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, Skip wrote, I know and cherish Lockahatchee. Please do not let it be degraded. Uh, the Lockahatchee means uh, it's a seminal word for the river of turtles. And Skip Lazell wrote the book about the turtles of the broken archipelago, meaning the turtles of Cape Cod. So it's great to have the turtle man back in the Lockahatchee. That's great. Thank you, Max, for that quote. Uh, Susan... Harry, from Grand Forks, North Dakota, writes, Why would you give this up? Once it's gone, there's no getting it back, and we need wild areas, desperately. We need to all step up to the plate to try to save our Earth. NASA isn't going to magically figure out how to colonize somewhere else, you know. Mm-hmm. And from Terry Forrest in Bristol, Tennessee, it includes a critical... Cypress stand habitat for hundreds of species, including two species of rare turtles. Then we have Thomas Turiano from Wilson, Wyoming. Thomas wrote, please figure out other ways to manage the city's wastewater. Preserve the Lakahatchee for recreation and for wildlife. Maureen Wheeler from Silver Springs, Maryland writes, it was working! Exclamation point. <laughs> That's a nice one. I got off easy. <laughs> <laughs> Salmi Amarajo from Blue Diamond, um, Nebraska. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say New England. <laughs> <laughs> Andy is Nebraska, right. <laughs> <laughs> it 
It is very important to protect wildlife. A wildlife refuge is an excellent way to help preserve and protect wildlife. Please support the constitution of the collaborate management of the Lockahatchee National Wildlife Refuge. Thank you. Can you read that last sentence? Please support again. <laughs> please support the Lockahatchee National Wildlife Refuge. No, she said please support the continuation. Ah, the continuation. Of the collaborative management of the, 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 the Lockahatchee. <laughs> <laughs> so continue it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. We're continuing it, yeah. Uh, next one, we have Jean Bradbury from Flemington, New Jersey. Uh, she wrote, I have been a resident of Florida and still have many family members who live in the state. Florida has been ravaged by weather, the rising ocean level, and diseases. We can, we can at least not deliberately destroy the Lockahatchee, Lockahatchee National Wildlife Refuge. Yeah. Can we at least not deliberately destroy the Lockahatchee Wildlife Refuge? <laughs> question mark. We can if you guys all help, you know. <laughs> uh, Susan Selbin, Albuquerque, New Mexico, writes, protect Florida wildlife by working with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to protect the Lockahatchee National Wildlife Refuge and the wildlife within. The refuge is a Florida treasure which you, as governor, should value and protect. Thank you. And from Edel Ann Quinn in Unadilla, New York, River of the Turtles, River of Promises of agreements and collaboration management. Your government ship, too, was a promise to the people, and the people do not exist separate from the land, the water, from nature. Neither people nor nature are objects or abstraction. Thank you for reflecting on your responsibility and promises, and please honor them. Yeah, some of these quotes are coming from, um, these quotes are coming from a letter we sent to the governor um, of Florida, and that's why there's references to that here. Go ahead, all right, next we have Lamb Weissman from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Uh, they wrote that Florida has a most unusual climate and ecosystem. When endangered as it is from invasive flora and fauna, extra efforts to contain and eradicate these threats must be taken or you will lose it all. And from East Providence, Rhode Island, John Burridge writes, Florida should not only preserve its unique treasures like this for ethical and moral grounds, it is also a moneymaker and a principal reason that many of us visit the state. We have nice sandy beaches here in New England, too, but we do not have the natural features of Lockahatchee Refuge, the Everglades, and the Keys. And Linda Hange in Arlington, Texas, says, Please help save our national wildlife areas of Florida. Please help control invasive plants in Lockahatchee, the River of Turtles. Please protect our last areas of wildlife and ecosystems. And then next we have James Haddon from Grafton, Virginia. James wrote that this is the only way that the natural treasure, the Great Florida Burning Trail of the Lockahatchee, can be preserved. Okay. Diane Clark from Woolwine, Virginia writes, I visit Florida almost once a year and the Lockahatchee National Wildlife Refuge has been a stop for me several times. I'm asking you to protect this place and all the animals that it contains. It is a jewel that Florida has. Please be strong in its protections and do not waver. From Angela Maley in Fairview, West Virginia, we need to save what little land we have left, especially critical habitats such as the Lockahatchee. And that's all the comments I could fit on this one page. And I think <laughs> that gives us a good sense of the distribution and spread. And if you would like to write a comment about the Lockahatchee, 
similar to these or more descriptive of something you've encountered there or experience you've had, um, you can write to me at ocean at rob at oceanriver.org. Send it along, and um, and Max and Sesha and I will get back to you and thank you, and um, we'll put it on the list and um, yeah, keep it going and stuff. Uh, and we're going to talk about you know some what we're doing to get more people involved in this process. Uh, and uh, Max, you're going to share with us some of the uh, relationship building that you, you've you know, been doing around these, getting these comments written so well. These were done on their own, but we've been working at it since then. Um, but we're going to take a short break first, and we'll come back and come back and talk more about saving the Lockahatchee. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. On a Cape Cod shore, 16 striped bass fish and a horseshoe crab were found dead, killed by a harmful algal bloom. The town blamed excessive lawn fertilizer for polluting the water. They restricted lawn fertilizing to once a year. The state overruled, mandating five times a year. Though the striped bass died on a Falmouth shore, fertilizer pollution is a national problem, clogging our waterways. If you believe in our rights to clean water and beaches, if you want to stop the killing of fish by excessive fertilizer, please join with us. Make a donation for responsible stewardship. Acting together, we can have clean beaches and more fish. Please visit www.donateforoceans.org. That is www.donate4oceans.org. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. 
You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hey, we're back with Sesha Manning. Hi, Sesha. Hi. And Max Wagner. Hello. And Max, you are going to take it away, right? Yeah. Um, so what we've been doing is um, putting out on Facebook, um, trying to get people to help us out with the log hatchery, trying to inform them about what's happening there, um, and hoping that they will then write back um, with comments about, you know, why they care for the Lockahatchee. Um, so we put out a few posts, um, and I've had the privilege of being able to read all these um, and actually correspond with people. Um, so just from the posts that we've put out, um, we had a few really great comments um, from individuals who do care for the Lockahatchee. Um, so one is from Jean Ayers. Uh, Jean wrote, oh, I am so sad. This used to be one of my favorite birding spots when we traveled around Florida during the winter. Um, so Jean uh, loves the birding there. Um, a lot of people have been talking about that as well. Um, another person, Robert Ohm, wrote, it's a great scenic river. I used to kayak it a lot, and it runs all the way to the intercoastal. It's definitely worth saving. Let's keep it protected. Um, in addition, uh, we have Cindy Francis. Uh, Cindy wrote, that's where Paul and I used to fish. Um, a lot of other people have been expressing similar sentiments about uh, the great fishing in that area. And then another we have from Peter Larson. Peter wrote that we live in a beautiful country with awe-inspiring wonders that money couldn't buy at any price. If we lose our sense of wonder, what would we be? So these have been really, really great comments. A lot of people expressing why they care about the Lock Hatchie, um, what makes it so important to them. Um, in addition, I've also been corresponding with people individually, um, reaching out once they've commented, um, and trying to get them to expand more about why they care um, and why they hope it's actually saved. Um, so one woman that I've had great correspondence with is Patty Ireland. Um, Patty is actually from South Florida, um, and she's been there many times. Um, she really loves Bagachi. And so she actually wrote to me um, that I'm extremely concerned about the threats to the Lockahatchee National Wildlife Refuge. This protected area of the Everglades is unique to Florida and provides vital habitat for so many plant, bird, mammal, and aquatic species, including some endangered species. As a photographer, I find it to be one of the most beautiful places there is in southern Florida and it's impossible to spend a day there without encountering incredible photo opportunities no matter what the time of year. The impoundment areas are crucial for the existence of many bird species, including the snail kite, wood stork, which is one of her favorites, the sandhill cranes, as well as nesting areas for aquatic species, several of which are considered threatened or endangered. It's a rich source of education for children and adults alike with programs available for teachers and students. While there is some concern that two of the invasive species are not being eradicated quickly enough, which means they're not meeting the 2017 deadline, uh, much of it is actually due to the number of tree islands within the refuge, which is actually a good thing, but making it more attractive to the Lagodium, which are not easily accessible for a portion of the year. Revoking the licensing of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service would do nothing to help the control of invasive species and would turn it into a water management project rather than the fantastic conservation project that it is currently. The state, and indeed the entire country, would lose out in terms of wildlife conservation, and the state would suffer from a loss of tourism dollars and would leave the entire cost of maintaining to the taxpayers of Florida, while reducing the benefit to the state and local communities 
the refuge is currently providing. To lose this extremely important refuge would, to this South Floridian, be a complete disaster. Uh, so we have Patty, the photographer. Um, she wrote really, really beautiful words there about why she cares about it, um, all the great photo opportunities she's had there, and all the beautiful wildlife um, that are at the Wakahatchee. Um, so I agree it would be a terrible, terrible loss um, to lose that refuge. Well said. Oh, my goodness. We can just stop the show now. <laughs> but um, it really helps people to get a sense of what they can say mm-hmm. by hearing, you know, what other people are saying. And if you would like to see what other people are saying, um, there are three ways to participate. One is uh, through, by, directly by email and through our website at www.oceanriver.org. Another is on Facebook. So we are very visible on Facebook, uh, Ocean River Institute, Facebook. And uh, I think they'll find some of your correspondence with people on the Facebook page if they look at messages and stuff. Yeah, definitely. We'd love to reach out to people if they have any comments. And they can always message us, and I'll get back to them there as well. Yes. Um, yes. And then the third place is what we call Classy, which is our fundraising page that um, is really um, Facebook and Twitter-friendly. Um, and there you will see that um, individuals are stepping up and giving gifts as small as $3 and $5 and larger to help us cover the cost. One of the costs is, you know, paying Max a, a stipend uh, hourly, and um, other costs are uh, the software that we need to manage, uh, as well as donation software to, to make this all happen. But it, it's really fun going on to that classy page um, because you can see uh, other people's comments. If you scroll down to the bottom below the giving categories and stuff, you can see a dialogue going up, and we can and you can correspond to people who have also donated. You can just, like on Facebook, you can comment on their comments. Um, um, or you can, because uh, then we're going to move it all into a, a master kind of um, spreadsheet, and it's going to result in uh, a one-page cover letter, and then everyone's comments will be, you know, reviewed and vetted, and uh, so you all sound as good as possible. And then we organize them by uh, political district, by state and town, so that the, uh, well, the Secretary of Interior, in this case, can see where everyone's from. And they can, he can, or he can share it with, uh, if congressmen see this, they, can, they know what page they can turn to for their constituents. And that's, uh, congressmen love hearing from their constituents. They rarely hear from people on other than the top couple of issues, which are all, you know, cast in stone, pretty much. Battle lines are drawn there. So when I go to Washington, I always get meetings with senators and representatives because they know I'm not going to talk. I'm only going to talk about oceans and uh, special places like the Lockahatchee and watersheds. And I'm not talking about taxes, war, health care, which they're kind of tired of hearing about. They, you know, they've got their own meetings on that. So <laughs> it's like put me in and they can't talk about it during that time and stuff. So, um, and then when I talk to them, they don't want to know, I mean, yeah, they appreciate that I have a Ph.D. in environmental studies, but they want to know what their constituents are feeling. So, um, and this is what I found working in, in Martin County where I met with a commissioner there about the harmful algal spills, the harmful algal blooming that were happening. And in part, it was being fed by fertilizing your lawn too many times, especially in the summertime when it's sunny and, 
waters are hot, and it's a rainy season, so that's not a good time to be putting fertilizer on that gets washed into the waters and feeds the algae when it's most likely to bloom. So I went to the commissioner and saying, this is one of you got 48 dolphins dying, you know, you should do something about this. And the commissioner looked at me and said, well, Mrs. Johnson from Jupiter Islands upset about her grandchildren encountering slime on the beach. And I was smart enough to say, oh, yeah, that's the problem, because then the commissioner went off serving his constituent, you know, here is this lady, probably member of the community, who's got a complaint to her legislator, and that's what legislators are all about, is serving their constituents. And so unanimously, the Martin County commissioners voted to respect the setbacks in the waterways, uh, fertilize with a, uh, slow-release nitrogen fertilizers when they do, and not do it during the summertime. Take a holiday, uh, and it was because it was their constituents. So what I have to say is nothing compared to what all of you can say, because this is a national treasure, and we need, you know, we need personal individual comments. And so please consider when you join up with us at making a modest donation to help um, help us cover our costs, help, uh, you know, reward these people like uh, Max and, and Sesha. We have another intern, uh, Owen Worth, who wasn't with us today, but uh, he's also um, communicating and working this and stuff. And so um, help us, you know, reach out, gather the words, and get them back uh, in a cacophony of disharmonious comments, you know, because what happens is if, if a legislator hears it in the vernacular of his community, or if the writer sounds like his mother, chances are he's going to remember that comment, and he's not going to remember the facts. He's going to remember that people really care about this, and we want to serve people. So, oh, my gosh, we're running out of time here. Um, so... Um, just wants to be got all the, the key things going there. Oh, socks! Forgot the socks. So we have um, the Ocean River Institute. We did a display. We have a display here in uh, on Mount Auburn Street in uh, Harvard Square, and it depicts four habitats for the ocean. Uh, the, the ocean habitat with four bottom types, and the estuary and the river, and so I and the beautiful watercolors of the animals in there, and. Um, I then commissioned Gina Chapeau, who's an illustrator, to illustrate the animals. And so we have black and whites next to pictures, next to the habitat pictures, so you can identify what that fish is under there. The monkfish, for example, is in the sandy bottom. The wolffish is in the boulder reef and stuff. And so we've taken uh, Gina's uh, illustrations of about, I don't know, 20 animals, I think, and um, put them on a blue background, and they're on socks. So the socks... Um, uh, so our plan is that if you can raise the, the socks cost us fifteen dollars. So if you can raise fifteen dollars, maybe five from yourself and three and ten from two other friends or something, uh, we'd be happy to sell you some socks. Sasha, did you get some socks? I did. They look okay. Mm -hmm, they're very nice. <laughs> yeah. So um, so that's a little incentive we're putting in there, and uh, we haven't put it out in the. So you guys are insiders. If you. Uh, if you're interested in socks, let us know, and uh, we'll set aside for you. So um, we've got some extras. They take forever to be. They all be printed in one batch. We ordered them in January. They just came in the door. Uh, so th those of you who've ordered them from last fall's campaign, fear not. Socks are on the way, uh, and we got a few extra pairs. And of course, we can always order more. So um, socks, isn't that funny? Wow. Okay. Um, so just to summarize. Um, 
Uh, Sasha, what are some of your thoughts about this Wakahatchee campaign? Well, I love listening to all the comments that people were saying. People who went down there all the time, or even people like miles away, they've never been there, and they still love it. It's a great place, and I can't wait to hear from other people and see what everyone loves about it. Yeah, that's the fun thing, is that it's really about, it comes down to people, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah, you can study the science of the deer and so forth, but it, it's in hearing the stories that some of them we read today, you know, of these encounters that, um, that is what proves to us that's testimony that's a remarkable place. And, and we are at a crossroads where it's possible that the refuge could be closed down, and uh, so it's very important that people today, you know, pick up your your computer or your cell phone and uh, drop us a line at uh, or visit www.oceanriver.org. Sign up for our uh, website. You can drop us a comment. You'll see six different campaigns, and we've only talked about one, and that's you'll see the Lockahatchee in the lower right with canoes and stuff. Click on that, and there's ways to connect. There's a letter to write on to. There's a classy campaign. But we really appreciate it if people could come on board and, and join with us. It's a lot of fun, um, a lot of different voices. I mean, who knew we'd be hearing from Hawaii, Nebraska, North Dakota, and, uh, yeah, um, it's just in the wall. And, oh, we got letters, we got comments from U.S. Virgin Islands, Puerto Rico, and Washington, D.C. So that's 53 U.S. states and territories. Um, Max, you'll be there, right? Yeah, definitely. So I would love to uh, to hear back from people. Um, I love hearing about all the memories people have made in Lakahatchee. Um, that's always great to hear. Um, and people looking forward to enjoying it with their children or their grandchildren. Um, so let's hope that that can happen. Yeah. Yeah, so please get involved. You know, give us a donate $5, but please take some time to write something in your own words, something descriptive so they know you're just not, you know, quoting some information saying or something. Um, and um, as always, speak from the heart. And so once again, we've run out of time. I want to thank all of my listeners for tuning in to Moyers Environmental Dialogues. And until next time, please take care, and then try to take care of this planet while you're at it. Thank you. Thanks again for joining us this week on Moyers Environmental Dialogues. Please tune in for more with Dr. Rob Moyer next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk again then. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff, and management.